chapter 10, and if you're taking notes, you can title this message. And by the way, I do encourage you to take notes, even if it's on your phone or there's like a little note section or you write it down, especially if you're someone who will remember better when you write it out. I know that's kind of how I work. Uh, I encourage you to take notes, especially today, because I'm going to give you several points. But today, I want to talk about this. I want to talk about it's time for abundance. And I actually got really happy as I was preparing this message because I felt like the Lord was wanting to release something in us and move us forward individually, but also as a church. So as I was preparing for it, I just felt this great um, uh, stirring, like, oh, Lord, I think you're ready to break out in something and so that's why the title of this message is it's time for abundance, because I think that's actually a word for us from the Lord, that it's time. It's time. It's time. And as you'll see as we go through this, this isn't about some sort of um, materialistic kind of message. It's actually much, much, much deeper than that and much more powerful than that, though these would include uh, material things, but it's for a purpose. But before I get into the message, I want to just remind you and encourage you um, in our giving, just continue to bring your tithes, your offerings to the Lord. And just on a practical note, you can give online at HagerstownFoursquare.com. There's a give button. You can click that. And so you can give through like your debit card or whatever, whatever's most convenient for you. Or to my left, to your right over there, there's a place where you could put a cash or check and just continue in your giving. So many of y'all are faithful like and consistent every week. That's why I don't hit on it that often, um, but it's also interweaved into the messages, uh, just that heart of generosity. But I encourage you, if you've never stepped out in faith, just to try God, like Malachi chapter 3 says, where he says, try me in this and bring all your tithes into the storehouse and see if I won't open the windows of heaven and pour out blessing for you that you won't even have enough room to receive it. That is for the tither, that message. I encourage you, try it. I I, I I don't have to guarantee it. God does. So just, it's not about the church's need or any individual's need. It's just about your relationship with God and doing something that he asked for. So I encourage you to try it. Try it. Even, I remember when I was a kid, you know, you get 10 bucks, you put a dollar in. You know, now when it's $100, it's easy to put 10 in. When it's 1000 it's easy to put 100 When it's 10000 it's easy to put 1000 in. And you say, what, a $1,000 check? Absolutely. And may it be more than that <laughs> over time in Jesus' name. But today's message, it's time for abundance. I want you to look at John chapter 10, verse 10. John chapter 10, verse 10. This is a familiar verse for many of you. Um, but we're going to really dive even beyond this verse into other ones. But I wanted to start from here. The thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I, Jesus, is saying this. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly, that they may have life more abundantly. See, I can't even talk about abundance if you don't believe that this is one of the purposes that Jesus came for. We can't even go there because otherwise you're going to have that kind of uh, pious mentality, which is has really good, strong elements to it, but to the extreme can lead you to think, that this is not something that matters to Jesus when actually in John chapter 10, verse 10, he says, not only does it matter, he says, I came that you would have abundant life. 
And in other scriptures, which we'll get into probably this week and next week. In fact, as I was preparing this message, I realized uh, this might be this might take me a couple weeks. Unless y'all are willing to stay here till two or three, but I don't think that's going to happen today. It's a beautiful day, so we won't take that much time. But if you're not convinced of it, then you won't know that actually Jesus hits on this in multiple other areas that he's not just talking about eternal life because, you know, overly spiritual people, uh, the, the like Christian superheroes, they would think like, oh, he's just talking about eternal life. Like that's the abundant life. No, no, no. If he was, then he wouldn't in other scriptures talk about, hey, those who leave houses and brothers and mothers and sisters in this life will also in this life inherit lands and houses and mothers and brothers and sisters and in the life to come. So in multiple areas, he says that there is a dual abundance. It's not just in the life to come, which is important, and thank God we'll have it. And that's num numero uno, like that's number one. But it's also about this life. But I want to dive so much deeper than most people do because we get into abundant life and it becomes so me-centered, so me-focused. And that's something that just, I think it, it irritates me <laughs> because I think it just makes something that's so powerful and so deep, so shallow. And so it gets a little get aggravating because when Jesus is talking about abundant life, this is deep and it is wide and it is powerful because he modeled a very selfless life. So he modeled what it was like to bring abundance to people, really had very little to do with himself, though he was the son of God. Hello. I mean, he had all resources at his disposal. So he, he didn't lack anything, but yet he continually poured out and continually poured out and continually poured out, but he was tapped into something. So you have to first, if you're taking notes, you have to first realize Jesus came for abundant life. He came for this. He did not come for squeak by life. No, no, listen, because there are so many people where everything we get in this American dream mentality, where it's like, I'm going to work the worst job possible so that I can have a retirement so that one day I can like ride it easy until the day that I die. How sad. Like that, that is not, when I read Abundant Life, I'm not thinking like, wow, I want to work the worst job possible, but at least it has a pension. So that one day I can retire and do nothing for 30 years and then die. I just don't read the scripture and think, oh, yeah, Jesus right here is talking about the American dream. Do you all see that? I, I, I don't see that here. But when I think about an abundant life, especially as Jesus model, it's one that has impact it's one that doesn't just like skate through to the very end where it's like, oh, I barely made it into heaven. I barely made it to the end of the life. I had no energy. I had no real love for life, and I really hated people by the end of it, but at least I made it to heaven. No, no, no. He says, I came that they may have life and life more abundantly. And notice how he juxtaposed it against what the enemy comes to do, the devil, the enemy of your soul. That the enemy of your soul only comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. That's the only reason he comes. So Jesus is saying the only reason he came was so that you die, and he wants to take everything from you. He is not out to flirt with you. He's out to kill you. Do you all hear me? So like it's real. Jesus is like he only comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. But Jesus says, on the other hand, I have come the opposite. 
when I come on the scene, it's life and it's that more abundantly. So as much as the enemy comes to take, I come to give. As much as the enemy comes to steal, I come to restore. As much as the enemy comes to take your life, I come to bring life. That's the, these two, they're opposite worlds. So Jesus is trying to convince us, listen, I come that you may have life and life more abundantly. In fact, if you look in the context of John chapter 10, this is how he shows that he has done this. Look at verse 11. I am the good shepherd. I didn't give this on the, the screen, so hopefully you have your Bible. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. See, Jesus said, not only did I come that you'd have a life more abundantly, he's like, but I'm guaranteeing that you have that by giving my life. So it's not just in this kind of vacuum that he's saying this. He's saying, no, no, I'm a good shepherd, and a good shepherd gets his life for the sheep. So in other words, so that you would have abundant life, real abundant life, I gave my life for you so that you'd live, so that you wouldn't be taken advantage of, so that the wolf, so to speak, like a wolf would come after sheep, I came and I blocked the wolf by giving my life. Like, just think about the imagery of that, that Jesus is using here. He's saying, I came that you may have life and life more abundantly, and so that I could guarantee that that would happen for you, I gave my life for you. So think about the price that was paid for you to have abundant life. So it would seem a little awkward, I think, for us to not step into that full abundant life when such a high price was paid for it. Think about it. Jesus paid a price with his own life so that you'd have abundant life. So that when you wake up in the morning, you would have joy available to you over depression so that you would have safety and protection, physically and spiritually safe, so that you would have a fulfillment, so that you would have purpose for your life. See, the Bible's very clear. Each of you, every person here, including myself, God has a distinct purpose for your life. And every single purpose may look a little different, but it's all aimed in the same direction where Jesus said, go make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them all things that I've commanded to you. Je Jesus gave that. So we're all kind of on the same mission, but it looks different and shows up different in every purpose person's life. But God does have a purpose for you. Well, that's part of the abundant life. They're all folded together. It's not separate from. So when God has a calling, we, we use this term calling. Calling just means as if I were to call you and say, hey, come over here. And you answer and you come. There's a calling on your life that is interwoven into your purpose that's directly linked to this abundant life. So Jesus is saying, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Then he goes on to describe a hireling. Basically, a hireling is somebody who's not a shepherd. They don't even care about you. They don't care whether you live or die because all they're after is to get their money. But verse 14, Jesus said again, I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and am known by them. As the father knows me, even so I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I love that. And he continues just to 
reiterate that over verse 16, 17, and 18, where it continually says, I lay down my life. I lay down myself. And all of that's uh, succeeding where he says, I have come that they may have life and life more abundantly. So think about that. That Jesus, he's saying, I have come that you may have life and life more abundantly. And here's how I made sure that happened. I gave my life for you. I laid down my life for you. I'm a good shepherd. And so I love that. As I was preparing for that, I felt, oh, I felt so, so convicted of this and so strong about it. Because when I've usually heard John 10, 10, it's on its own. It's like a standalone scripture. And alone by itself, it's strong and it's powerful. But I feel like, oh, but you miss so much of Jesus's commitment to your abundant life when you don't realize what he says after that. Where he's saying, I am a good shepherd. I laid down my life for the sheep to make sure you inherit that abundant life, to make sure that nothing can steal it from you, to make sure that you don't have just a mediocre, uh, low-level, uh, susceptible to the devil kind of life. He's like, no, no, step into abundant life. See, I know in, in, in our own sphere, like with my, my wife and I, um, it's really interesting because I think people... Um, you know, may assume, well, you, you, some of the reasons why you have what you have is just luck. No one here would think that, but you know what I'm saying? Like people just assume like, oh, that's just luck, but you don't know how sometimes um, it's because of decisions we made to step into an abundant life by faith. And not just material things, but friendships and our spiritual depth and our commitment to Jesus and our laying down our own life and following his model like he laid down his life and how all of those things accumulate over time to where now you see something that's a product of almost 20 years, at least for me personally, but then for my wife and I collectively uh, 13 years now, where now you're seeing the collection of many years of stepping into and believing God for an abundant life. So it's not like we just decided yesterday. It's like, no, no, we've been walking this thing out. And the more we have been convinced that Jesus has an abundant life for us, the more we step into it. So I'll give you an example. So when we moved here to Hagerstown, we were blessed to have uh, been able to purchase our first home. And we decided to build a house. And a lot of it was just kind of practical. Like, okay, it's a new community. Thought we could meet some people. Uh, it's cool that we could pick some of our stuff. The location, it's because we like to cul-de-sac, it's safe for the kids. I mean, a lot of it was very practical. It wasn't real spiritual, like, Lord, we believe this is the land. I mean, we wanted to be spirit-led, but a lot of it was just trying to be practical. But now that we are here, we're seeing amazing things with every single one of our neighbors right around us. To where yesterday, uh, our neighbor sets three doors down, uh, she only speaks Spanish, but we went over, and my wife, of course, is fluent in Spanish. So we went over, and she had made us breakfast. And, you know, I went for a while, but then I left so that my wife and she would have some time. And then this awesome lady, she just pours out her heart on a number of things. There's ministry right there. The neighbor that's right next to us is asked, Lily, hey, will you please go with a walk on a walk with me? Well, now, we both knew right away, oh, she wants to connect, talk. And then the neighbor on the other side of us told us, and they're from Ghana, 
told us their whole story of how they got here. But she said, I prayed that pastors would live next door to me. And she bought her house first. So here's this lady who we don't even know, prayed us into the exact location. And then she's telling us, she's like, yeah, and you're at the head of the whole neighborhood. She's like, the whole neighborhood like culminates to right to you. I'm like, there's this depth. But what is happening, abundant life? Because we could just live there like everybody else and just drive in and close the garage and just shut everybody out. Or we could step into an abundant life that's like, we're here for a reason. We're here very strategically and on purpose. And God's even put our neighbors around us for a very distinct purpose. I mean, our cul-de-sac is like the United Nations. We have Ghanans on the left of us. We have Pakistani and African-American on the right of us. On the right of them are um, Asians. I think they're Korean. On the right of them is Puerto Rican and Mexican. And then just down the street from them, another family that we met that wants to come over. They're Lebanese, literally from Lebanon. It's like the United Nations right here in Hagerstown. And I, I didn't know that that was even possible here. No offense to anybody. But it's like I didn't know that that was possible. And yet, what is it? That's abundant life. It's not random. Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and life more abundantly. And it's not just about Lily and I gaining up more and more for ourselves. It's about us giving and pushing out. So let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. This is where I want to head for today. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Look at verse 6 through 8. This is in the New King James Version. Then I'm going to share with you out of the Amplified because it gives some better depth. Verse 6, but this I say, he who sows sparingly, sparingly meaning in a limited manner, will also reap sparingly or in a limited manner. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Look at verse eight. I love this. And God is able, or strong is another word for that, to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance, everybody say abundance, for every good work, that you may have an abundance for every good work, that you may have an abundance for every good work. See, I love this scripture because Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and have life more abundantly. And Paul is saying here, part of how you step into abundance is the level that you're willing to put out, sow. But when you step into this life of where you're sowing and reaping on a larger level, he says that you'll step into an abundance where you have an abundance for every good work. Notice it didn't say so that you have an abundance to just pile up. So that you can get more, 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 more. Have you noticed as you get older, it's harder to ask for what you want for Christmas? Maybe maybe y'all don't have that problem. Maybe some of you are like, no, I know exactly what I want for Christmas. But have you noticed, like, you do kind of get to a point where you're like, I'm good. Now, don't tell mom that. And then I won't tell Lily that because I still want Christmas gifts. No. But, you know, <laughs> there does come a point where you're kind of like, I mean, do I really need anything? No. I mean, I'm kind of in the want stage. You know, where it, it would be a want. So there comes a point where it's like, now you're just kind of piling up. But this isn't talking about having an abundance so that you can just pile up. 
See, a lot of times we teach this, and I've heard this taught in 2 Corinthians 9 about sowing and reaping, and it's all true about, you know, how, how to receive for yourself. But it culminates to this where it says it's truly so that you'd have an abundance for every good work. Not so that you can have an abundance to just pile up. But so that you would have more than enough, not just enough, more than enough for every single thing that God has prepared for you to before you were ever born. See, the Bible says that he created you, you're his workmanship and that you've been created for good works that he prepared beforehand. So God's already prepared for the rest of your life the good works that you're supposed to do. And he even says that you should walk in them. Not that you will, but that you should. Like if you choose to, you will walk in that. This is saying, and if you sow and you put out, not grudgingly, not of necessity, not with a, you know, kind of spiteful heart, but you put in on a large level, you will have an abundance for every single one of those good works. So here's, here's a litmus test, all right? Here's a litmus test. Have you felt God highlight an opportunity in front of you that you did not have enough for? Well, this scripture says that it is possible for you to have an abundance for every good work. Now, I'm preaching to myself because there have been times and there are currently some things right now where I feel like I see good works right in front of me that I want to participate in and be a part of, and I don't feel like I have enough. Now, there is an element of faith that sometimes you step out and you believe God, and we'll teach on that some with, with, with abundance. There is supernatural provision that's possible. But there's another part of me that knows I should have more than enough. I should have more than enough for this because this scripture says that part of sowing, when you sow bountifully, you reap bountifully. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. Let me read the same scripture out of the Amplified. Let me see, is it up here too? Uh, do we have it in the Amplified? That's okay, I'll read it. Now remember this. He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows generously, that blessings may come to others, will also reap generously and be blessed. Let each one give thoughtfully and with purpose, just as he has decided in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver and delights in the one whose heart is in his gift. And God is able to make all grace or every favor and earthly blessing come in abundance to you so that you may always, under all circumstances, regardless of the need, have complete sufficiency in everything, being completely self-sufficient in him, and have an abundance for every good work and act of charity. I love that. Have an abundance for every good work an act of charity. I want to give you four keys to abundance. Four keys. These are what we're going to get into today. Four keys to abundance. And it's just coming straight out of this scripture out of 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Number one, identify your seed. A key to an abundance is identify your seed. In other words, what do you have to give? When it's talking about he who sows sparingly, reaps sparingly, who sows bountifully, reaps bountifully, 
This assumes that you know what your seed is. Identify what your seed is. What do you have in your hand? God doesn't call you to give what you don't have. He doesn't ask you to give what you don't have. He doesn't ask you to go run up the credit card and count that as seed. Please don't do that. That's called stupid. Don't do that, okay? <laughs> you might have the right intention, but really, really not smart in how you do that. But what do you actually have in your hand? It could be what's in your garage. You might have a neighbor who has a need of something that's just your excess. You don't even use it. It's in your storage room. And you have something that's like, they might need that. Or you may have time. You say, you know what? I got a few extra hours a week. Where can I sow my time? Can I sow it into my family? Should I sow it into my friends? Should I sow it into some discipleship? Like who's right around me? I know my wife and I were just talking yesterday and you'll hear more about this. We're gonna start something for Spanish speaking people. You know why? Because the lady three doors down from us who we met with yesterday does not speak English. So she wants to come and she wants to bring her kids on Sunday morning here. But right now, if she came, she wouldn't understand what we're saying. She wouldn't be encouraged by that. So we see a need right in front of us of a woman who wants discipleship, needs discipleship. And I see Spanish-speaking people all around here. So I'm like, well, somehow, some way, we're going to figure out how to provide ministry to those who speak Spanish. We're going to do it. So what do we have? We have in our hand my wife who speaks Spanish, and we have, or we will make time, I should say like that. It's not that we just have all this excess time, but we will make time. We're going to figure it out because I see people who need discipleship, want discipleship, and all they need is us, right? So you might have that. You may have literal money, seed, seed. And sometimes you sow into church, tithes and offerings, they go to your local church. That's why Malachi chapter three says that. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, into the place where, where it, it and, and God says that there may be food in my house, not your house, in my house. So my wife and I, we tithe. That's, our, that's the, like the base limit. But we do a lot outside of that, of what we have. So God's not calling you to give what you don't have, so don't stress. You know what I'm saying? Don't stress. Don't worry. Don't freak out. But no doubt each of us has more seed than we have sown. So there's seed in your house somewhere for you to sow. Why? Because God's leading you to an abundant place so that you have an abundance for every good work every single one of them, every single one of them. And I pray in Jesus' name that God shake your mindset out of money because that's one, one component that's actually fairly small in the grand scheme of abundance, that God would show us how much truly we have to give. I'll give you a, uh, an example of this. Identify your seed. Um, even, and many of you are like this as well, but even when we had like a little, I don't know, it must have been 700 square foot apartment in Southern California, which we still paid $1,000 a month to live in, FYI. And it was built in the 1920s, so it wasn't even like, I mean, it was, a, it was an interesting place. Y'all know what I'm talking about, like these kind of little hole-in-the-wall places. But we loved it, like it was our first place. But even when we had like hardly any room, you know, and it was a one-bedroom, so, you know, few hundred square feet of that half of it is is the hallway and the bedroom and the bathroom so you know you have just like a little bitty place of a living room we still did what we do on Wednesday nights here we did when we that's all we had 
we would have people over because we committed our house, our home will be used for the kingdom of God, however possible. So even our own family, they, for whatever reason, these people had two, three, four bedroom homes, and they wanted to come to our one bedroom apartment to do Easter and Thanksgiving and all of the family gatherings. I couldn't understand it at the time, but you know why? Because there was something about our home that brought peace and stability and unity to the family, and all of these people just kind of like flocked to it. So we did even with what we had when it was a little, and we just continued to commit it to God when it was inconvenient, and we always had to be ones that picked up and cleaned up and, you know, all the stuff that comes along with hosting. Now, that, that may seem minor to you, but I am 100% convinced that we're where we're at today with our home because we have continued to stay faithful to use our home for the glory and the kingdom of God. And we will always do it till we die. And we have committed it. It belongs to him. It is his. It is his. We, it, we use it. I mean, it is being used all the time for the kingdom of God. All the time, all the time, all the time. And now, literally, it's my office. So, <laughs> like, like many other people's. But we use it in an inconvenient way. And it costs us. It costs people to have it in your home. You know, the electricity bills go up and all of the, the paper towels and the toilet paper and, the, you know, the, all the stuff that comes with it. But you know what? We don't even think about it anymore. We just sow it and sow it and sow it and sow it. Why? Because he who sows bountifully reaps bountifully, and he, God is strong enough to make all grace abound to us so that we'll always have enough for every good work. So we don't have to worry. When we tap into that, we don't have to worry about having enough. So number one, identify your seed. Number two, this is the harder one. <laughs> Could be. You're going to have to work on your heart. You're going to have to work on your heart. Verse 7 says, so let each one give as he purposes in his heart. So if you're near heart, you're like, uh, well, I don't want to call anybody the Grinch, but have you ever seen like the cartoon movie, The Grinch, where it shows his heart and it like shrinks down to like nothing? Well, if that's where your heart is in regards to giving, and the Bible says, let each one give as he purposes in his heart, and that's where your heart is then you need to work on your heart in order to increase your ability to sow. Because otherwise, you'll, get out, you'll give out of obligation and you'll resent it. Or you'll resent me. You'll blame me, even though I don't benefit one way or the other necessarily. But you'll resent it because you'll feel like someone made you do it or they twisted your arm to do it or they manipulated you to do it. And God says, keep it. Keep it. If that's where you're at, keep it. But if you're humble, none of us want to stay there. And in fact, you can, by the grace of God, acknowledge, yeah, I, I, that's where I've been. I'm a little stingy. I'm a, you know, you could say I'm a little stingy. And, and God, but God help me. I don't want to be stingy. Uh, yeah, I, you, let's be honest. I grew up an only child. Jeff, an only child. Like, I didn't have to share with anybody. No, like, you don't have to share toys. You don't have to share anything. Like, you don't just share parents. You don't, I mean, just with grandparents, nothing. You're an only child. So then you get married. That changes your life. <laughs> <laughs> 
And then you have three children and then it changes your life again. So what does that prove? You can change. Yes, you better change if you want to stay married and have healthy relationships. But you can change. And you know what you do? You change your heart. You work on the heart. You ask God for help to work on the heart. And you ask God to increase your capacity to give. Increase your capacity to sow. And this is where it becomes fun. Because once your heart changes, you see opportunity everywhere and it becomes fun. It becomes fun. You don't, you don't stay in the mentality of how can I get from everybody. You get into the mentality of how can I give to everybody. And there's a huge difference. There's a huge difference. So work on the heart. Gives as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. You should love giving. You should, I mean, just absolutely love it. Because if you don't, then keep it. Then just keep it. Keep it until you can get your heart in the right place. Then give it. Does that make sense? Now, most people wouldn't teach you that. Most people would say, no, no, go ahead and give it and your heart will catch up. God didn't say that. Give as he purposes his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity. For God loves a cheerful giver. And just catch that. God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. Like, just think about that on a relational level. Like, God loves it when we give cheerfully. Now, we've all had this experience where you give to somebody or someone gives, I'll, I'll, I'll switch around. When someone gives something to you and you can tell, Honey, can you get me a cup of coffee? Fine. Here. There's no joy in that. <laughs> There's no joy on the part of the receiver. Why? Because you want them to give it cheerfully. Or, honey, can you take out the trash? Fine. I always take out the trash, but fine. I'll do it this one. I'll do it again for just since no one else will take it out. No one loves that. that is, God does not love, you're right? Like we can relate to it in, a, in our family level or a family life. Well, God's same way. I, he loves a cheerful giver. He loves it when he nudges you to help out a friend or help out somebody that you know is in need. And you give that. He loves that. And you give it cheerfully. He loves it. I mean, just think about that exchange that happens. Now I'm moving outside of just me and someone else of a give and take kind of relationship. Now God's involved. Like God's in the loop of what I'm giving. And he's like, oh, I love that. And I love that you wanted to give that and that it was your joy to give that. I know that for me, it makes a huge difference when I have known that people have just, they really expressed even in their gift. Like I, I, I'm so happy to be able to give this to you. And yet I also know as a giver, it's so much more fun for me when I give it cheerfully and I want to, and I'm like, hey, uh, we, like, we prayed over this. We want you to have this or, you know, whatever. God loves a cheerful giver. So work on the heart. Work on your heart. Work on it. 
Just turn to your neighbor and tell him, work on it. Oh, come on. Give him attitude. Work on it. Work it. Work it. Work on your heart. Work on your heart. That's a process, by the way. It takes time sometimes, especially if you've kind of retreated in your giving and you know God's nudging. It takes time, and you just work it, and you continue to ask God for help with it. And you can you stretch yourself, you know, go to the point where you can still do it cheerfully and don't cross over to the point to where now it's, uh, uh, I don't want to give that. Number three, keys to abundance. Identify your seed, work on your heart. Number three, increase your sowing. Notice this is after working on your heart. This is after. So don't do this before you worked on your heart. But number three, increase your sowing. So you've identified your seed. You know what you have in your hand. You've worked on your heart to say, I'm willing to give what's in my hand. Number three is increase it. And that again, all these come straight from the scripture. He who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Increase. And it is beautiful because the Bible says that he actually gives seed to the sower. So the more you sow, the more seed you get. And that's why you increase. So I give you an example of my wife and I a few years ago. So at that time, our tithe was a certain amount. Now our tithe is a different amount. Why? Because he gave more seed to the sower. We were faithful in our tithe from day one of our marriage. In fact, we both were tithers before we were married. So it was a non-conversation when we got married. We knew it. And so we, we, would, we would tithe, and we have tithed consistently and faithfully ever since. But our tithe at that time was you know, this much, and now our tithe is this much. Why? Not because, oh, well, you get older, you know, it's just practical. and it, Well, I'm sure that has a part to do with it, but that is not all of it. Why? Because the more you sow, the more seed you'll get. That's why I say, without a shadow of a doubt, every one of us can increase our sowing. Because he will give you more seed. Now, percentage-wise, maybe it'll work out to be a similar percentage but the overall amount will be the same or will be more. Increase your sowing. Increase, your, increase the amount that you're giving to discipling people. Increase the amount that you're spending on others than yourself. Increase, increase it, increase it. There's a beautiful exchange that happens here because then this is where you start to, and this is what we're going to hit on next week, where you get the, key, the keys of abundance. So now it's not just, okay, getting to that place where you have an abundance. Now it's, okay, once you have it, what is it for? What's it for? And that's what we'll get into next week. And that's where this life gets crazy fun. Last one, number four. This is kind of simple, simplistic. But number four, repeat process. <laughs> Repeat process. You know why? Because life changes, seasons change, so your seed will change. Your heart changes, got to work on it again. And then you continually increase your sowing, and then you repeat process. Repeat process. Repeat process. And this is what's just, this to me, the, the, this is like breakthrough stuff for people. This is breakthrough stuff. Because 
Most of us have never seen abundance modeled. If we're being honest, most of us have not seen abundance modeled. What we have seen modeled is squeak by. Skate by. So our brain, our mentality, our thought processes are here. And God's like, oh, no, no. Abundance life and abundance thinking is in a different atmosphere. Have you all seen um, the news lately of all these billionaires flying to space? That's a different mentality. Someone had to think it's possible, if you can afford it, to build a whole system, aircrafts, whole companies to get me to space. Uh, these billionaires had to have that because they, they, they made the companies, they hired the staff, they built all the rockets. I mean, they invested heavily. Yes, they had the money, but they had the mentality that made them think that was even in the realm of possibility. That's abundance. Now, I'm not saying they're all godly and it's all for the right purposes. <laughs> but I am saying that there, that is an example of when you can get your thinking on God's level, you'll step into things that you would have never stepped into had you just trying to keep squeaking by. So like when I look at our community in our city, I think about what would happen if I truly stepped into an abundance mentality where I have an abundance for every good work. So I no longer look at the city situations and our community situations, our nation situations, and think, oh, it's overwhelming. I could never have an impact on that. And I said, no, 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 no. I should have an abundance for every good work. So how do I sow towards that? How do I build a life towards that? How do I have a mentality towards that that doesn't immediately see all the obstacles, all the costs, and see, oh, I can't afford that. I can't do that. We don't, we don't have the ability to do that. And how do I step into a place where I'm like, no, no, no. God, help me see what it is that you would have me do for that every good work. That is where this life gets crazy. I want to just end with this scripture, 1 Kings chapter 17. 1 Kings chapter 17. I'm going to read verses 9 through 16. This is a very powerful example of what we've talked about. Arise, go to Zarephath. This is the Lord talking to Elijah, which belongs to Sidon and dwell there. See, I've commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he rose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, indeed, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called her and said, please bring me a little water and a cup that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And so she said, as the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. Notice she did have something. And see, I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. That's pretty dire. And Elijah said to her, do not fear, go and do as I have said, but make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me. And afterward, make some for yourself and your son. For thus the, says the Lord God of Israel, the bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. So she went away and did according to the word of the Lord or word of Elijah. And she, she and he and her household ate for many days. The bin of flour was not used up nor did the jar of oil run dry according to the word of the Lord, which was spoke by Elijah. 
Now, I use this example because here's a woman in a dire situation. There's a famine. There's no rain. So the crops are not growing. It is poverty upon poverty upon poverty. She's saying, I was just about to eat this last little cake, and then my son and I were going to die. We're out. We're done. And the prophet says, give me that last little bit. Make it for me. And I, but, but she says, but he says, when, when you make that, you, your flour and your oil won't run out until the rain comes again, which means until the crops start growing, the economy changes around, and then you'll have all that you need. So this woman literally in an instant had to make a decision. I have my seed in my hand. Am I willing to put it into the hand of the, this man of God, which really represented the Lord? He was the Lord's representative at that time. Am I willing to put it into his hand? Am I willing to do it by faith and see what happens? So here's this woman who probably would be the least likely... I don't think anyone in this room would meet the exact standards of her level of poverty. If you are at that level where you're at your last meal, please tell us <laughs> and let us help you. But you know, we're probably not at that place. Maybe you feel close to it, but you're not at that level. And yet even she had to sow. No one is exempt from this. And yet that same woman, she sowed, and she not only had enough for she and her son, it says she had enough for her whole household until the rain came back and until the economy turned around. God is incredibly faithful to what we're teaching right now. This is not about Ty's hand or his word or my guarantee. This is the power and the strength of God. That's why 2 Corinthians chapter 9 says that it is God who is able or strong enough to make this kind of grace abound toward you. Like it is his strength that will back this 100% all the way. So I wanna pray over us today. And I wanna pray that God unlock abundance in your heart. Because that's where it's gonna start. That God unlock an abundance mentality and that you start to see opportunities to sow seed everywhere. Everywhere. You might be at, I'm just warning you, you might be, eating out somewhere and all of a sudden you see a table three tables down and you just know we need to buy their meal and you need to call it seed it's not oh we just wanted to be nice and well maybe but that's called seed that's called sowing bountifully some is maybe starting with tithe that's the lord's it belongs to him i put my tithe check in today so I, I follow along just like everybody else my wife and i do our church tithes to our denomination i mean we live this thing out. But you know why? Because I want an abundance for every good work. I do not want it to be said about me. I don't want it to be said about our church that, yeah, there's a lot of needs out there, but we don't really have anything to give. Baloney. I <laughs> almost said bull crap, but I don't, yeah, I wouldn't say that in church. <laughs> but no, baloney. I do not want that said. Not when Jesus said, I gave my life so that you'd have abundant life. Not when such a high price was paid, so I would have abundant life. And then for me to just kind of be stingy over in the corner and be like, no, I don't really feel like giving. Are you crazy? No. I love Jesus too much for that. Oh, no, I love him too much for that. I, I want every part of me to surrender and belong to him, including everything I have, my talents, my gifts, my resources, my time. I want it to all belong to him. So why don't we close our eyes right where you're at?
because I really do believe it's time for abundance. I believe it with all my heart. I believe it for you. I believe it in your family. I believe it in your, your what, what God would want to put in your hand could be the very answer to real needs, to good works that are right around you. It's time for abundance. It's time to step out of poverty mentality or just barely scraping by mentality. No, it's time for us to stand in the place of an abundant life. Abundant life. So why don't we just take a minute here and just identify your seed. Just contemplate that. What is in your hand? What kind of time do you have? What kind of things might even be in your house that you know a neighbor could use or someone in the church could use? What kind of finances? Maybe you could skip that latte and help somebody else. Next, just take a second and identify where's my heart? Where am I at in regards to generosity? If this message is grating on you, then maybe your heart needs to be expanded a little bit. And if that's you, you just ask the Lord. Say, Lord, work on my heart. I'm not generous, but I want to be. Maybe you've been afraid that you don't have enough. Then tell them, say, Lord, I've been a little afraid. I don't want to live in fear. lastly just mark where is it that you can increase your sewing so you know what you have in your hand you know where your heart is but where is it that you can begin as your heart allows to increase sewing thank you Jesus